uh, we'll be able to just hang out and worship a little bit. Um, my glasses are getting foggy. I got nervous in that first song when Jim's guitar went out, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I think I messed it all up. And I thought J- Jim was going to say, get, just get off the stage. Get off. <laughs> it's like, oh. And it's like, it wasn't my fault? Okay, good. <laughs> Jim's scary. <laughs> he could be. <laughs> but anyways, let's just, uh, let's just quiet our hearts um, as we begin. Um, into Romans, um, just it's just a little quiet time. You pray, uh, whatever you might be going through, that you might be able to leave it, um, and just um, just so the Lord can speak to you tonight, uh, where where we're at. And so let's just spend some time of quiet prayer. Pray for me as I deliver this message to you at the same time. So let's just quiet our hearts for a little bit. you we thank you in Jesus name amen I, I know that many of you who have been out working all day long whether you're out at work whether you're watching kids all day long and you get to a, a an evening service and you you come and you sit down and you're like oh geez man I'm gonna take a little nap and um, hey if I can give you a good little nap right on you know you're hearing the word subliminally um, going in there, but I, I totally bless you guys for uh, just making your way out here and pray that God really just ministers to our hearts. Um, one of the things as, as we get into this study, um, God is a God of order. And everything He has set into place, He is a God of order. Everything has a function. And it is in a timely manner the way he has just set up everything. Everything, everything, everything. He is a God of order. Everything has its place. Everything has its purpose. There's nothing that he made that he thought, oh man, what did I make that for? It has no purpose. Everything has a purpose. Um, and we might not understand it all of why he's done certain things or created certain things. You know, why, why, why? But, you know, God, God knew exactly what he was doing so that everything would function and be in order. As far as man can see into space, even with all the technology going into outer space, it was as much as he could see into space, into the distance, into the vastness. There seems to be order. In all the wonders of God that are out there, there seems to be wonder. But we can also see the wonders of God when a man or when man can focus on on the smallest, smallest thing and be able to get a microscope and just go down to the depths of something so small, so minute, um, 
there is order in, involved in that as well. And so in the vastness or, or, or in, the, in the smallest, um, there, there was just, just order. But we see also that when something goes awry, off course, off kilter somewhat, when something happens that it's like ah, catastrophe or, or, or some kind of a disaster or tragedy, um, be it a meteorite that enters into the earth's atmosphere that, that it's like, or we're always being told, man, we're being, we're going to miss it by 10 million miles. That's really close. You know that, you know, it's like, man, man you know, it's like, or, or, or when, when some cell goes rogue and takes on a life of its own, you know, from, from the biggest to the smallest thing, man, when, when something goes off kilter, we, we, we look at things like that and know that for the most part it will not end well when something goes rogue, when something goes wrong because there will be disorder and di- disorder always wreaks havoc. Somehow, some way, it will wreak havoc. So we see that God is a God of order. He is the God of structure. He is a God of organization both in heaven and on earth. And there is always some kind of hierarchy involved in, in all of this, chain of command, if you, if you will. Because without some kind of a hierarchy or chain of command or order, even in organization, there is anarchy and chaos if there isn't a hierarchy. And so God saw it fit that in every aspect of society, that we get to live in, in just about every aspect of society, there is, there is set up a, a, a structure, an organization, a, a hierarchy again, if you will, so that it can function properly, be it in government, organizations, or households even. There has to be some kind of a structure. Whatever the case may be, God is the God of order, not disorder. And it's interesting because Paul has been sharing with us through the book of Romans some doctrinal truths throughout the book of Romans. And getting into verse, chapters 9, 10, and 11, he kind of goes back and, and talks about the, the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. And, and once we get into chapter 12, he begins to deal with practicalities in our lives, doctrines, not only doctrines, but practical aspects to doctrine. It's great to know what God says. It's another thing to do what God says. And that's what he's doing in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of Romans. Part of 15 as well. But he's he's giving us some instruction. And it's kind of interesting because as we get into chapter 13, he kind of just brings it down to where we all live. In whatever society, because back then there was a society that people were living in and Christians were living in. And so it, it kind of transcends all the cultures, all the societies to us today. And what he says to us today was applicable back then as it is today, as it will be in the future. And so he starts off like this, chapter t- uh, 13, beginning in verse 1. We'll just cover seven verses this, this evening. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. 
and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will be, have praise from the same. For he, who, uh, for he is God's minister to you for good. For if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. What an interesting topic. <laughs> that as he as we were covering in chapter twelve, that was so to me a very interesting, amazing chapter that just kind of taught us what we are to do on a regular basis about about presenting ourselves to God, conforming to His image, not conforming to our own image, being renewed and, and not thinking too highly of yourself. And then he kind of gets into the last portion of chapter 12 where he says, love without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And he just kind of tells us, this is what you ought to be doing on a regular basis as a believer of God. If you call yourself a Christian, then do these things. Do these things. Don't repay anybody evil for evil. Not ever. He, he never gives us that permission to go ahead and do that. It's like if you're having a bad, bad day, go ahead. No. It's not, not even if you're having a bad day does he say, hey, go ahead, go repay some evil for evil, man. You deserve it right now. Those people are wicked, mean. Go pay them back. Never ever does he say that. He says, don't do that. Just give place to me, he says, basically. Not to me, Zeke, but to him, God. Give place to hell, because I, I could be very vengeful if I wanted to. But he says, be, give me that place of, of vengeance. I will repay. God takes care of all that stuff. And so he's telling us all these things, and then he finishes off that chapter by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <laughs> and in the next breath, he starts talking about submitting or being subject to authorities, to the governing authorities. And you're going, but they're wicked. <laughs> it's the man. No, we're to fight. Again. It's like, no, that's not what he's telling us. He starts getting into the law, basically, or how we are to function as citizens, how we are to, to, to behave ourselves and conduct ourselves, not so much in church, but outside of church, where the man is. <laughs> where you can get busted for stuff, right? And so he says, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. Now, most of the other translations I looked up 
to to kind of see what they were saying about this, thinking maybe there's a loophole. Somebody, uh, you know, it's like you know they all kind of sound the same. Um, all the other translations, they they all said uh, every person or everyone must or should. It's like ah, no loophole there. It, it was only the King James and the New King James that uses the word soul instead of everyone or everybody or stuff like that. He says. He says, every soul. But I, I, li- I like the way, or I like the fact that he used the word soul. Because that word soul means breath. Which, if you are alive, I'm assuming all you are, you might be tired, but you're still alive. You have breath in you. And so in essence, what he is saying, let every living soul be subject to the governing authorities. Let every living soul. Now, you know, I, I, I think about this with, with, with youngsters, with teenagers, because they often think, man, when I'm out from mom and dad's tyranny, you know, I get to go do whatever I want. It's like, no, you don't. You don't get to do what you want. Especially if you get married. Then you never do what you want. But but even even if you're a single person for the rest of your life, you can't really go do what you want. There's always a governing authority that will tell you these are the rules, these are the parameters, and you need to stick by them. And so there's there's always that. So every soul is to be subject to the governing authorities. Um, after the flood, um, in, in in Genesis chapter nine, God gave. Uh, Noah instructions on on a structure how how they were to to start building a governing uh, authority how to govern over man he 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 began to give them um, just just this this formula of how it, it it should work now i'm sure that before the flood there was some kind of uh, governing authority in place, but now you have Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, and he says, hey, be fruitful and multiply, start populating this whole place again, and, and this is the way you're going to do it. If, if you need to have corporal punishment, do co- corporal punishment. If somebody takes a life, you take their life. And so he says, you're going to be over these kinds of things. And so he kind of sets up the authority structure after the flood with Noah and begins to put things in place. And now, Paul here uses the phrase every soul, every person. Now, the book of, book of Romans is not written to everybody in the sense. He is writing to believers. This, this book, a, a, believer, a, a non-believer can take it or leave it. They, they don't have to adhere to what the Bible says. I mean, there's natural laws and there's, there's spiritual laws and all those things, and they all have consequences, but a, a, a non-believer doesn't have to Pay attention to this. But if you call yourself a a believer, a Christian, then the book of Romans is for you. (laughs) And so when he says every soul, he's he's saying every soul, but he means every believer, because that's who he's writing to, every believer ought, ought to put themselves under the authority of someone like this. His focus is on the believer. And the encouragement is for this, the believer. Now, as I was thinking about this whole idea of being under a governing authority, I, I kind of went off a little bit, you know, thinking, well, wouldn't it be the ideal thing 
um, that that all Christians, you know, once you became a Christian, you just moved into this one island, and now it's all Christians. You know, we we don't have to deal with a man that in that sort of you know that sort of realm. You know, that that all Christians lived together. I was listening to this one pastor on this on this topic, and he goes, "Can you imagine that? You know." We'd get sick of each other, Could, you know. Hopefully, we'd because we're just too nice to one another. Um, but, but it, it, you know, you would think, man, that would be ideal to to be under the authority and and every you know not under the authority of the secular world, but the Christian realm. That would be utopia. Now, wouldn't that wouldn't that be amazing? And as I started going there and thinking about that. I thought, well, it, it is kind of interesting because when the church did start, they, they kind of tried this utopian communal type of living within the society that they were living in. They still had to go outside to go do things. They still had to go to the temple. They still had to go do other things. But they would always try to come together and they lived. And, they, and it says in, in Acts chapter 2 that they had everything in common and they sold their possessions and they gave it to one another and to see whoever had need. Here, man, we're going to take care of it all. And I thought, well, you know, that, that, that would sound kind of okay. But still there was pressures coming in from the outside, even to the believers, because they were going out there and they were being a Christian out there, not just in their little communal kind of living. Uh, and so there was pressure outside. And so when you read in Acts chapter 4, you, be, you see that they begin to get kind of persecuted. They, the people from the outside, the religious leaders started coming against the believers. And so they got pressure from the inside. But as I was looking at this and going over Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, 6, you know, in those areas where they're trying to live this this utopian kind of life so that, you know, it's like, just, let's just govern ourselves, even from within. It wasn't perfect because you, you have people like Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, and they begin to, you know, they lie to, to Peter and those guys and they get struck dead, you know, and stuff like that. And, and then you, you, you have the Hellenists who were part of the church, but they were complaining because they weren't getting enough. And so there was, it just wasn't working out, you know. And it's interesting because it, it was kind of short-lived, this utopian uh, lifestyle was kind of short-lived. But I kind of think that as, as good as that may have sounded back then, and, and maybe even today it might sound good to you, um, it was just kind of short-lived um, because I think that God really wanted his people to be out and among the secular society. I really believe that. I, I, I know that oftentimes we think, man, if I could only work with all Christians. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about that. You know, I, I, I remember playing on a Christian softball team years and years and years ago. It was all Christian teams. It was just as brutal as secular. And, and, and I was playing also on a, a secular team at work. And honestly, I came down to, I, I'd rather go play with those guys. They know they're heathens. All these other guys tried not to act like heathens, but we're heathens. And we're, because you can't take competitiveness out of baseball. Well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But anyways, so I, I just thought, like, I think God wants us out and among the non-believers. Because there are pressures. I think he wants us out in the secular community so that we can be a light. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with working with other Christians or working for a Christian boss. There's nothing wrong with any of that. 
but but your light, you know, it's not going to shine really bright if everybody else's light is shining bright. It's like, how good is that? You know, that's why I, I love being out of my office because everybody here is saved. You know, and all our staff is saved. So I, I, I want to be out and among the community. If I can be wherever involved in something, I, I, I will go put my foot out there um, just because I want to be a light. And, and so I think that's kind of what God was saying here and doing here and, and encouraging them to go out. But throughout church history or throughout history, governing authorities have not always been kind. They, they, they haven't always been kind to the people of God. And it's interesting because God knew that. <laughs> God knew that, 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 that the societies, the governing authorities, would not always be kind to the church. They hadn't always been kind to the, to, to, the, to, to the children of Israel either. Sometimes the children of Israel brought it upon themselves because they started worshiping other gods or they got themselves in trouble and stuff like that and they got persecuted in, 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 in the OT back there and all that kinds of stuff. But the governing authorities have not really been so thrilled about the people of God. And the word subject here is not always a popular topic. <laughs> it's, it's not a popular place to be, to be subject, because it means to be under someone else, to be under others. And it, it's the same word that you would use for submission, to be, some, to be in submission. And we often get the idea that that means to be put in your place. And that's exactly what it means, to be put in place, to know your place. That's what that word submission means. The word submission or submit means to be subordinate, to obey, to put under, subdue unto, to be in subjection. But there's a big difference, I, I feel, that when, when somebody puts you in subjection or you put yourself in subjection because you know that that's the right place to be. Because there, would be, there, there, there are people who, who will lord it over you and, 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 and put you in check and put you in submission and they degrade you because you're there. But also, I think if we know that, you know what, I'm not the boss, I'm not the big cheese, I'm not the head honcho, I'm, not, I, I, I'm a worker, I, I, I know my place. You know, almost like in the military, you know your rank and so you fall into rank. You don't go over rank, you stay in rank until you promote and so there's, there's, there is that, that thing that, that we have to know where we fit in. At the time of this writing, as Paul is writing to the, to the Romans, the persecution of, of the Christians had not really started, but it was right around the corner. It, it, it would get bad. It would get harder for the Christians. And, and it's not like after he wrote this and then the persecution started, it's like, hey, send that letter back. Let, let me redo this part. No, what he had written to them at this moment when he's telling them to be in subjection to the governing authorities, he still wanted them to do that uh, when Nero got just a little crazier. Because you see, when perse- persecution got, star- got started and harder... Um, for the Roman citizens there, each Roman citizen was to was to drop some incense on the altar and claim that Caesar is God. And at that time, uh, Caesar Nero was the emperor, and he was nuts. He he was like way out there, you know. He 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 just got crazier and crazier. And yet, this portion of scripture still applied to the Christian. 
that they were still to be in submission to the authorities. They were to, to still be good citizens regardless of who was in charge. They were still to be good citizens. Now there are times when the Christian um, is to obey God rather than the man. It tells us that in Acts chapter 5 verse 29. And we'll touch on it a little later. But there are times when we are to obey God rather than the man. But understand that. Understand this. That when we say, you know what? They're asking us to do something that is immoral or above or, you know, something that's not kosher with what God says. So we are to obey God. But when you do that, get ready for the consequences from the governing authorities. Is it right? No, it's not right. But they have that kind of power and not every authority will be righteous, will be just. Some of it will be corrupt. A lot of it has been corrupt. And so Paul is saying to, to the believer that every living soul is to be subject to the governing authorities. And so in one, in, in one sense, he said, be proactive. Know that this is your place. This is what God's commanding us to do. So put yourselves under those who happen to be in authority over you. Now really the only example that, <laughs> that the Christian had of being subject to authority uh, were the Jews. The, 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 Christians, the Christians were still considered to be a sect of the Jews at that time. The Roman government was looking at these new believers as part of the, the Jewish sect. And so the Rome tolerated the Jews. And they let them have their own little rules and, and, and councils and things like that. And so they were still considered like, you know, these Christians are part of that group and we tolerate them, so we ought to tolerate these guys as well. Um, but the Jews hated being under Roman rule. They hated it. They despised Rome, they despised being under their tyranny. They despised it. And if a, a Jew decided to work for the Roman government, they were even worse for, for being traitors. And that's where like Matthew comes in, who was a tax collector. He worked for them. And that's why they despised them even, even more so. And so again, they just didn't like being under the tyranny or under the rule of the Romans. And yet... That was really the only example that Christians had if they came out of Judaism. Now, if they came out of uh, being Gentiles, well, they were already subject to these guys anyways. But for the most part, they had the Jews as an example and they hated it. But it says this in verse 1, and we will get to verse 7. It says, For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now this, as I thought that it brought me back to, to a time when Jesus was before Pilate and they were having this little dialogue between them, a little chat between them that took place in John chapter 19 verses 10 and 11. As, as Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate is questioning him and Pilate said to him, it says, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivers me 
to you has the greater sin. But, but did you catch what Jesus tells him? You have no power. You can't do anything unless it's granted to you from above. He is the one that has, calls all the shots. And so, again, all the authorities that are placed in power for some reason are there, they exist, or are appointed by God. Now, the, the offices have been appointed by God. Those who have been placed in power. I, I, I don't think that God like says, man, I, I want to get the most ruthless, ruthless, evil, wicked ruler to rule over these people. He sets up the authority and when the people are put in, it's not like God's going, man, gosh, now I'm responsible for all, the, all his wickedness. No, man is responsible for his own wickedness. And I think oftentimes people that are placed in position of power, oftentimes um, they start off well. They want to do good. They want to help the community. They want to help the state, the government, whatever. And, and you know how the, uh, that old saying set goes is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so oftentimes they do start off on the good foot. But he goes on to say in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. The word resist means to oppose, to set oneself against. Paul takes a stand here that if someone resists the authorities that be, they are in essence opposing the authority that God has instituted. They're going against what God has set in place. He is a God of order and He has set things in place and He has set people in authority or, or set offices and institutions in authority. And when we go against that, when we decide we're going to fight the man, then what He is saying is you're res- being resistant against what God has set up. That's not where believers ought to be in opposition, fighting against the authorities, opposing them at every turn. I I, I don't think that's what it means here. You see, there have been instances where we have seen God's people not agree with the authorities, with what they have said or what they have placed into law. And the examples that came to mind were Daniel and, and his three friends. When they were taken by the king and they were placed in a place where, where he wanted to, to uh, shape them and mold them and, and re-educate them. And they were to be given a certain amount of food and a certain type of foods. And, and Daniel and his three friends decided, we, we, we don't want to eat the king's food, you know. It, it, it will defile us. It was going against what they truly believed. And so what they did was talk to the guy in charge and say, hey, how about if we work out a deal here? Without even having to tell the boss what's going on, the king, um, how about if we just make a plan here and, and, and we do it this way? And they kind of refused to obey the king's dietary regulations. And so in an essence, they were disobeying the law. But the way that they, they did it proved to bring honor to the king in the end. And they respected, in a sense, the, the authorities that were there. They just kind of bargained with them. They deal with them. They didn't, they didn't really rebel. 
They didn't get their signs together and start protesting, you know, we're not going to eat. They didn't go on a hunger strike. They just said, hey, can we, can we have, can we deal it this way? They were careful not to embarrass the official that was in charge or to get him in trouble in that sense. And yet they stood their ground. They were able to, to still glorify God in their obedience um, to what they truly believed that if they broke this law, they would be sinning. So they were able to work it out. And at the same time, they honored the, the authorities. Now, it's interesting because there was another time that they resisted the king. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There was a time where they were supposed to bow down to an image. And whoever didn't bow down, there was a consequence for that. And these guys decided, we're not going to bow down. And the consequence was being thrown in the fiery furnace. And yet, they stood their ground. They decided, no, we're not going to bow down to this image because we only bow down to God. And as they talked with the king, they even told the king, hey, you can set up whatever you want. We just know that we're not going to do it. And if we die, we die. But we believe God's going to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not, we're still not going to bow down. So they were being rebellious, but they were willing to pay the consequences for their rebellion. And see, when we decide as Christians, we are going to stand for something against the government, against whoever. When we decide to then be ready for the consequences to come. See, that's where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were at. They were willing to die for their stand. Even if they rebelled, they said, if we die, we die. And so you know the story. They get tossed into the furnace and, and nothing happens to them. God protected them. And the king ends up changing his mind because of that. And the other time that it, that it happened, Daniel or Daniel himself decided not to go along with the program as well, that he would be worshiping over here and not worship any other god. And yet he still worshiped his god. And he didn't hide it. And so when they saw that, they went and told the king, hey, this guy Daniel, the one that you've lifted up, the one that, that, that's really close to you, he's not bowing down to you. Or he's bowing down to the other God. And you said that that's not right. The penalty for that was being thrown into the lion's den. And guess what? He was willing to do it. Because he was willing to fight for what he believed. Now, again, was it right or wrong for him to, to pay attention or to, to go against, to resist? Well, as it says in the, in the, in the end of chapter, or verse 2, it says, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And they were willing to go through that judgment. The king himself would come against them. Now, we have another situation that the apostles, that Peter and the, the rest of the apostles, they faced similar situations. Shortly after uh, Pentecost, when they got like on fire for the Lord, in chapter 4 of, of Acts, verses 18 to 20, it says, so they, came, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than, more than God, to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have heard, seen, and heard. And so when they stand up against the Sanhedrin here, they are telling them, hey, you guys understand where we're coming from. (laughs) 
we are not going to not talk about Jesus. So if it is right in your eyes, then you guys judge that. See, they were willing to go into prison and they were willing to die for that. And then the next chapter, because they continued to do this and they had gotten beaten and all these kinds of things, um, in chapter 5, verse 27 to 32, it says, And when they had brought them, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you to, to not teach or not to teach in the name in his in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles said answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and to forgive and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so in that case, once again, they decided to come against, to rebel, and they were willing to pay the judgment. The judgment that would be brought upon them by the governing authorities. They were willing to do that. They did not cause a rebellion. They did not try to change the law. They didn't question or deny these guys, the authorities of the council. They submitted themselves in that sense to the institution by being respectful to them when they spoke to them. But they refused to stop preaching. They knew that that was going against what God had commanded them. And so they were willing to pay the consequences for their resistance. And so guys, what I'm trying to share with you is, is we are to be in subjection to our governing authorities. But when they overstep their, their bounds into our lives, into the pulpit or into our church, then we can stand for what we believe is right. And if we do then it's okay <laughs> in that sense to obey God rather than man. But when the consequences come, we, we, we shouldn't cry foul. We know the rules. We know the laws. I, I, I think of this when I think of our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. Those who have come out of Islam or those who have, who have left uh, Judaism or who have left their religion and, and, and there's persecution that comes with it, they're willing to pay the price. I could guarantee you they understand these portions of Scripture that they're willing to die for their faith. Not that we shouldn't pray for them or, or, or try to release them, but, but at the same time, I think most of those guys are saying, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm a cool, I'm, I'm okay, I'm willing to pay the judgment. We ought to pray for their families, for those who, who continue to live after them. And so verse 3, verse three it says, But the rulers are not a terror uh, to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authorities? Do what is good. And you will have praise of the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. 
by and large, all those who, by and large, those who are in authority are really not after the peacemakers, but after the troublemakers. If you're a peacemaker, you have nothing to worry about in that sense. They're not after you. If, if you are a law-abiding citizen, you really have nothing to worry about. You don't have to be looking over your shoulder if you are compliant with the law in compliance. Um, I know that for most of us, we do consider ourselves law-abiding citizens until we get out in the road. <laughs> and for some reason, we think that the speed, speed limit is a suggestion and not a commandment. For us, it's like it's, it's suggested. And, and, and most of us know that you can go over 10 miles. Once you hit 11. <laughs> but see, when, when we are in compliance with the law, when we are going to speed limit, we are just like la di da di da But when we are speeding and we know we're speeding and we're like this, we are like looking around and all that and and it's so amazing because I mean if you if you like went through Feeling Road right here and and the lights green and you're you know the cops sitting right there by the donut shop, um, <laughs> you have no fear of just continuing going if everything that you have been doing is law abiding. It's like oh look at there man they've got cops we should have more cops around here. But if you run the yellow or even the red and the cop is like, you're like, oh, geez, is he moving? Is he moving? Did he look? Did he see? Was he eating his donut? I hope he was eating his donut. Oh, my God. And you're just so concerned. Why? Because you knew you broke the law. And see, they're not after the good people. They're after the bad people. You will have praise of the same. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, I was hearing of a of a, a, a city that they would pull over good drivers around Thanksgiving and, and give them a ticket for a turkey instead because they were compliant with the law. Whether that ever happens here or not, I don't know. But <laughs> we we are to be unafraid of the authorities if we're in compliance. Do what is good, he says. Do what is good, and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry. If, if, if you're not creating havoc and chaos and disorderly conduct, you have nothing to worry about. You, you, can, you can like do whatever you want to do because you're in compliance with the law. We are exhorted, or we were exhorted in the previous chapter, to cling to what is good. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It is God's will that we do good on a regular basis. That is God's will. He told us this in 1 Peter. Um, and so again, you know, we, we are to do good for the Lord's sake because we are His servants. For conscience sake, we, we, we should do what is right, as it says in verse 5. For It says, for he is a minister for you for good. And it's interesting because Paul uses that term three different times in two verses. God's minister. And it literally means that these people that he's talking about here are God's servants. And I, I pulled up a couple of Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 8.15, 
By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. Um, in Proverbs 21.1, it says, The king's heart is in the, heart of, is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. If you, if you want to see how, how God ministers or uses his ministers and even chastises them, you can read about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 and how he got high-minded and God brought him down to be like a donkey, a wild animal eating outside for years. And so, again, whether these authorities that are around us are good or bad, and we might not understand why God would allow certain people to be in power, he, he, He has their breath in their hands, in His hands. Their breath is in His hands. He, he, he will deal with all that. And there's times that he has intervened in, in situations and other times he hasn't. And I don't know why he does sometimes and why he doesn't oftentimes. But the focus here is not on them. It's on the citizen. <laughs> it's on the Christian citizen. That's what the focus is on here. He's not saying, hey man, it's all about the man. It's all about... No, he's telling, he's talking to you and me about being respectful, doing what's good, doing what's right. We might not be able to control those who are in power, but we can control what we do. And if we can, can control what we do, then we don't have to look over our shoulder. But if you do evil, be afraid, it says. Plain and simple. If you decide to break the law, and I'm, I'm, I was using like traffic laws, but again, you, you, you want to be a lawbreaker? <laughs> in, in any sense of the word, be afraid. Be afraid because consequences will come eventually. You will get, probably get caught. And, and, then, and then he says that governments have been given the right to bear the sword. I like that. Like, like he's, he, told, he told Noah, if somebody takes a life, you have the right to take that person's life. From fines because you didn't clean your property to corporal punishment, they are able to bear the sword. They have the authority to do that from code enforcement to military. They are able to fine you if you're not in compliance with the law. Isn't that interesting? They have the right to do that. And you might think, well, that's just so unfair. Well, be compliant. Be compliant with the law and, and you won't have people showing up to your house saying, hey, you need to clean up this mess or you have to do this or you have to do that. It's my property. It's like, yeah, but there's codes. There's, there's things. Or again, if, if you want to break the law or if you want to hurt somebody, then they will not bear the sword in vain. They have every, every right to do that. If we are in compliance with the law, we have nothing to worry about as far as the sword coming down on us. The governments have every right to protect us from within with police and they are able or, or have the right to protect us from without with our military. And I know that there's people that's like, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't kill or you shouldn't do this. Somebody who is placed in that position has the right now, again, there's people who are conscientious objectors that they don't want to... It's like, well, don't get into that, <laughs> that line of work. But the person that does, whether he's Christian or not, <laughs> he, he, he has the right. 
Guys, they, they are the ones that are, that, that are putting their, their life in harm's way for the citizens for the most part. And I understand there's crooked cops and there's people that whatever, but we need to respect that position. We need to respect their authority. And I think that because of the day and age that we live in, we're not teaching our kids authority at the, at the home so they're not obeying authority in schools or even law enforcement. And so we need to be careful with all of that. Verses uh, 5, 6, and 7, as we finish up here, it says, Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. The, the Amplified puts it this way, Therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath and escape punishment, but also as a matter of principle uh, for the sake of conscience. The wrath of God or the wrath of man are great motivators for us to stay in check, to keep ourselves in check um, of not breaking the law. But that's not why we don't break the law so that we don't receive the, the, the consequences. We, we don't break the law for conscience sake because we want to obey the ordinances of God first and foremost. And then he says at the end, he says uh, um, that, that because of this, you also pay taxes for they are God's ministers attending uh, continually to this very thing. And so <clears throat> he says that the Christian's responsibility is to civilly uh, to obey and be involved in, in that obedience, which includes paying taxes. And so if we live in this state, the state of California has certain regulations and, and tax codes and stuff like that. And if you live in California, you do what California tells you. If you don't like it, go to Arizona or Florida. They have different tax laws. But you're going to pay some kind of tax <laughs> somehow. And so we are to be obedient to those kinds of things, which includes paying taxes. Our taxes support those who, who give their lives, basically, as it says, as, as God's ministers attending continually um, to this very thing. They, they do this for in, in full-time jobs. That's their full-time job. So somebody has to pay their, their salaries. And we may not agree with how they spend our taxes, <laughs> But that's not what Paul is saying we should argue about here. He says he wants us to be good citizens, especially if you claim to be a Christian. Government leaders are God's servants. So a Christian ought to give everyone what he owes them. In verse 7, Render therefore to all their due. It literally means repay everyone his due. We are not to repay evil for evil as we learned a few weeks ago, but we are to render or repay everything that is due them. In Matthew 17, there's a story about when Peter comes to Jesus and there's a temple tax that has to be paid. And, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, watch, just go down to the lake, to the sea down there. And uh, the first fish you catch, there will be money in there for, for our taxes. You use that and go pay my taxes and your taxes. And it's like, sweet, let's go fishing. <laughs> pay our taxes, you know. 
And then there was another time when, when, when the religious leaders came after Jesus and they thought that they would trick him. Because they knew, it's like, wait a minute, if he says, they, they were asking him about taxes, are we supposed to pay taxes? Because they knew, well, if he says yes, then he's for Caesar. If he says no, he's against Caesar. And we can get him either way. And I love the fact that as they come and they try to do this to Jesus, uh, Jesus says, well, let me see what's on that coin. <laughs> it's funny, he didn't like pull one out. It's like, well, here, let me see what I got here. He says, what do you have? Well, whose, whose image is on that? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is his and give to God what is God's. Guys, we are to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. This is where we live in today. He wants us to be compliant with the law. You want to be not compliant with the law? Then be afraid. <laughs> you want to be compliant? Do what is right. Do what is good. In, in uh, the last verse here, in verse 7, in the Amplifier, it says, Render to all men their due taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. That's where we live. That's what God wants and requires of us. Amen? See, you said amen, so you got to go be good citizens. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for just giving us some downright, just practical application for our life, Lord. Lord, I, I, I'm sure every one of us can complain and say it's not fair. But your word uh, sometimes convicts us, Lord, of things that are not fair in our own eyes. But Lord, you have set things up in our society. You've allowed us to live in this country with this government. And we pray, God, that we would be praying for those in, our, in authority. As First as Timothy tells us that we should do we should be praying for everybody that's in authority, Lord. I do pray for those who, who are in authority, that there are brothers and sisters who have tried to make a difference. Lord, I pray that you would help them not to be tainted, but to continue to do what is right for the people. Pray for, for those in our military and those who, who, who bear the sword, Lord God, our police officers. That God, you would protect them, Lord God, that we would honor them, Lord. They put their lives in harm's way for us, Lord, that we would be praying for them, that we would be encouraging them when we come across them. So, Father, please, Lord God, just go before us in every aspect. And God, we would be able to just honor you, Lord God, as being good citizens, that we might glorify you and be an example and a light to those in our society and our community. Blessed be your name, and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song.